North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. Welcome listeners, welcome to the first ever recording of North Otago Legends, Up and Comers, and a little bit of history. I have with me today Gary Kircher. How are you, Gary? I'm very well. Very well. Yeah, and yourself? Yeah, not too bad, Gary. Excellent. Yeah, the sun's shining and everything's going good. So if you've tuned in for the first time, um, Gary and I are interviewing one person every week, someone who's been a bit of a legend from North Otago or done something great while in North Otago. Every now and again, we're going to be talking some up-and-comers, aren't we, Gary? Just someone who's doing something great at the moment. There's some great people out there you know, doing things right now, so yeah. we've got to talk to them too. Well, next week's podcast, um, I might be able to track down a young man called Logan Doherty. Now, he's at um, Rowing Under 23 for New Zealand and doing something amazing. And that young guy is dedicated and committed and um, just know he's got a fantastic story for some of the younger listeners out there that want to go on and do a good thing. Yeah. But today we have an amazing guest. Do you want to introduce who we got? Yeah, I'm really pleased to uh, introduce Ian Hurst for our first podcast. So Ian is uh, a well-known local, um, a lot of history of um, sport and business. So, uh, you know, an all-black for a number of years um, and, you know, since... I don't know when, um, but you know, getting into business, um, both from farming into retirement villages and rest homes and um, other in- enterprises as well, and including some things still going on at the moment. So, um, would it be safe to say in the legend? Oh, he's absolutely. He probably, a, if you called him that, legend. he'd get embarrassed. But he I would. think just the fact his sporting career, absolutely yep. being an All Black, playing, um, playing for Canterbury, playing for Omaru. But I think. Guys like Ian who've come into our or who are born in the community and give back all the time. I know his family does that as well. That for me is a true legend. Someone who gives and um, is just very generous with his time and 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 thinks of North Otago. Would that be fair? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, it's a, the, the Hursts are a family of you know, it's multi generations now yeah, of, that's of right. living in the district and and contributing. Yep. Well, without further ado, <laughs> further ado, let us introduce you to Ian Hurst. Ex All Black and North Otago legend. Welcome, in. Well, thank you very much for the very warm welcome and that illustrious introduction. Uh, I think probably overstepped the mark a bit with the legend, but uh, I can relate to legends because in rugby they have a rugby legend and you have to be over the age of 35. Well, I've doubled that now, so uh, I can fit into that category and deal to it. So you're a legend twice over? Twice over. <laughs> there yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. So yeah, going back to those early days of um, you know playing rugby in North Otago, you know being one of our representatives um, in the sport and, and and going on from there and ultimately becoming an All Black. Tell us a wee bit about that that journey and you know what was it like back then? I mean it was well before the professional era. Um, you know, you you weren't played to uh, paid to play. Um, tell us a bit about it. Well, it really kicked off at Papakaio School, a little country school where really the only two sports that were played at the time for, for young lads was rugby and during the winter and tennis during the summer. And oh, ended they didn't up playing, play cricket? Played both. Very oh, little cricket tennis. went on yeah. at school. 
And then off to Waitaki Boys, and I was fortunate enough to make the first 15. And at the conclusion of that, uh, the year after I left school, I played a year for North Otago before going off to Lincoln University and had the good fortune of making the Lincoln team and in the same year made Canterbury Colts, Canterbury B, and then got elevated into Canterbury A, which was all a pretty rapid uh, escalation. Yep. And following on from that, had the good fortune of playing some Ranfurly Shield games and getting some national recognition and ended up at an all-black trial at the old, what is now Athletic Park, that we ended up developing as a retirement village. Oh, have you? Really? Uh, at the village on the park now. That's a great story we'll, well come back to. But yeah, yeah, it's rather Carry interesting. On. And um, played in an all-black trial, went into the after-match function just thinking it had been a game that had been played. It was an early trial in the days of two trials. Some of the older people will remember that. And holy heavens, my name was called out in amongst a team of 30 that were going to be travelling to the UK for four months to play a four-month tour. And as you rightly point out, Gary, that was before the professional days. In fact, the, the only sponsors, supporters we had at the time were Rothmans, and if you were a smoker, <laughs> there was a thing that were called tea chests that yeah. were full of cartons of cigarettes. And every, every games room that we went to for after-match functions... Rothmans followed us around and the breweries weren't too far behind. So we were supported by the breweries and the uh, the smoking companies. Unreal. And that was the major form of support. Yep. During that tour, we got paid £2.50 a day. No, we weren't paid. We weren't allowed to be paid. It was all the amateur status. It was a, an expenses. Allowance. Which bought yeah. a bit over a pint of beer. Wow. Um and that doesn't assume that that's all we had in the day, but yeah. uh, that that was the recognition. Yeah. And very difficult for those, you know, I was a student, yeah. had no cares and was free-flowing, but for a lot of the lads that were married with children and were owned farms and the like, it was a, a very onerous undertaking to how, take away for four months. How did you do it for four months? Like- well, most of those guys, the community got in behind and supported and... Uh, picked up what where they did all the farm work and so forth. The guys like Sid Going, Alex Wiley yeah. in, that, in that era were farming and the community had to pick up and take over where yeah. the individual left off. Very, very you know, I think of the wives of the time being yeah. so accommodating. Yeah, amazing, uh, four yeah. months away. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, certainly different to, to the days now. Um, you know, and it's... I think probably a lot of us sort of miss that touring style as well, you know, of, of seeing the, the, the All Blacks or, you know, going away and playing against, you know, a lot of the provincial teams yeah. and, and local teams uh, as well as the, the tests themselves. So you just, it, we, we've lost a wee bit with that, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know that we've lost. I think it's it's changed and yeah. it's sort of across the globe, isn't it, in all, assets, mm. in all aspects of life. Things have changed. What's what's better and what's uh, worse, you know, and what's different. It is just different. Mm. And I th- I think the passion and commitment and the skill sets. I look at all sportsmen at all uh, elite levels is just utterly exceptional in comparison to our days where we were getting on making a living and sport was sort of to the side. Yeah. So there's you know there's definitely <coughs> pathways these days for young people to get into you know, there's representative teams and, and ultimately all, the All Blacks. Um, you know, what you obviously did that to a degree, but um, it, it wasn't it wasn't done in the way, you know, there were, you know, you certainly 
see today the the young ones that absolutely have to be 100% focused on their sport, on their, on their single sport. Those were the days where you could actually play a summer sport and a winter sport and yeah. in some cases represent both. Yeah, now it's very much a professional destination mm. and in order to be in that category and it's almost in any sport, you have to commit your life and almost 24-7 towards yeah. the dedicated com- requirements to make the grade. And uh, we had the joy of being able to live life as well. And I, you only look at it through your own eyes. I think we were a very fortunate era. The other thing that we were very fortunate about was that the technology wasn't following us around. We had media, yeah. and particularly in the UK, a very aggressive media compared with anything that we ever experienced in New Zealand. Uh, but there was not the technology that's hovering now where you're under inspection every step of the way. Yeah. Um, we lived in a, in a patch of time and played in a patch of time that that wasn't in existence. And I just say slyly, possibly <laughs> very conveniently. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I lived in a time, I travelled overseas for five years when I was a young fella and there was no cell phones on cameras and things mm. like that. And I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. So now in my position... <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> um, maybe just, a podcast on you, Dan. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, no, we'll do. We'll do Gary first. Yeah. There's a lot more dirt there. Um, just you just got named. So, just want to know your desire was always to be an All Black as a young boy, or you just seen where it come. And then when you got named, who was the first person you rung and said, "I'm an All Black." Uh, I was passionate about the game, absolutely passionate, just loved it dearly and wanted to improve, improve, improve in every aspect of that just because it was a personality type. Yep. And um, I had a lot of mentors and very good fortune in the team that I was playing within uh, to allow us to get elevated. And the first, the first person I called, I believe, was my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, well done. Uh, Gloria. And um, from there on, it was celebration time, really. Yeah. Actually, just, just a very quick aside, um, you met Gloria quite early in life, didn't you? I went this to is pa- a good story. We went to Papakaios. Papakaios School is at the end of our drive where we lived yes. at, Pap- yeah. at home. And I started school as a five-year-old uh, in August, it's on the date of my birthday, yeah. in Prima 1, and Gloria started school in November. So I'd sort of king of the king of the mat at that stage on yep. the floor, and she arrived and I thought, well, that's pretty, something pretty tidy. And if she played her cards right, she could have me, and she, she has ever since. So. <laughs> that's, that's such a and good we got, story. we got teased as we were growing up with guys like John McDonald, who sure sheep at our property and, and her property and got yeah. teased as little kids and then started going out at high school. Yeah. And that developed into a relationship and Gloria went to training coal in Dunedin. Yep. And we had a distance relationship while I was doing my degree at Lincoln. And then we were scheduled to get married in March of 1972, Uh-oh. which happened to be at the same time that I was selected to go to the UK. So our first wedding date got delayed, yeah. and that's some of the uh, compromises that our yeah. partners had to had to make at, the, at the time. And so, uh, Gloria, she obviously knew that what a good catch you was, 
were. Oh, I love you saying yeah. that. <laughs> no, obviously. And so was she okay delaying that? Like, or yeah, wasn't she's she been, just she's go been for remarkable. It. She's yeah. been a rugby widow for a long period of time, and you know, our relationship, quite frankly, yeah. has necessitated that to occur. Um, and it wouldn't a relationship wouldn't work unless yeah. somebody were to uh, take on a role of making a commitment to support somebody. I, I think well, I think just that alone. Uh, uh, you've done a lot of other things, but just you and Gloria and what you've done and that commitment and since a young age. So I want to commend you for that. I think that's fantastic. Well, well she deserves yeah. the yeah. The and yeah. Really. Oh, please either yeah. tell her to listen to this or please pass on <laughs> how much how high we, we hold, hold her and yeah, it's very in regard rare. and yeah, just think mm. that's a great story and yeah. and some days you know these young ones nowadays they don't you know commitment and. You know they're afraid of it, or you know then they don't know that word. But I'm, I'm, I don't know. I've got some of those old school values. You know, you you work at something, you commit mm. at it, and yeah. So that's a great story. Yeah, and and look, it hasn't all, all times no. been easy by any means yeah. for either of us. But yeah. it's like any relationship. If you dig in and make it stick, it's uh, we, these are really the good times. Yeah, there we go. I don't know. Thanks, thanks for sharing that in. <laughs> um, so so. So you you became an all black. You postponed the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> um, you you headed off overseas. Tell us about the the tour. Well, that's um, I recall being parked in a an airliner with these guys that were all my heroes, and guys like Ian Kirkpatrick, who was our captain, Brian Williams, who was a superstar at the time, came off the back of tour to South Africa where he was probably one of the best players in the world and it so happened that we all got double room well everybody got double roomed excepting the captain um, and I got roomed a great deal in those early stages of the tour with Brian Williams oh. who was a delightful person he was completing a law degree and was studying and was studious and committed and uh, as such they felt that me being a newcomer I wouldn't disturb him too greatly so he, he was um, he was just a wonderful mentor to be sitting alongside when I knew nothing about any of the uh, realities of being an all-black. And possibly in those early stages, for the first few weeks, you know, it was BG and myself would were room together, and um, he was and still is just a remarkable individual. But I... It, to wrap up in any uh, paragraph or page what it's like to be exposed or expressed to a tour of that nature with the expectations, the pressures, the opportunities of visiting Buckingham Palace and having a night with the Queen and oh, so you Princess Anne. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the mayors of pretty well every town and yep. uh, the MPs. It, it is The UK is very formal in, in so far as the opportunities that are presented that would not otherwise ever yeah. be allocated to an individual. So I don't think it's possible to do it justice to try and sort of sum it all up, but it's, it's sort of life-changing uh, experiences that mm. one gathers. And that whole bondmanship within a team of 30 guys for four months at the end of which, you know, what everybody has with it's what their personalities are like, their little uh, various traits that um, you can emulate and have have a very clear understanding of. It's just a remarkable experience. Yeah. So 
You would have had a few characters amongst the crew as well. Some real personalities yeah. and um, some real great deal of humour that a lot of it sits inside and hence I say that whilst that technology wasn't there at the time but our memories do reflect a great deal on a lot of it. Um, and some personalities that are much more stern and less accommodating for just when you put a whole lot of people together, you get different personalities. And the one thing that I found out of that, some of those very aggressive type personalities that are that were tucked in there without identifying names, people will think and they won't be too far wrong. Yeah. Um, that humour is a great balance to bring everybody round the table and hold arms together. You know, it's humour is a powerful, powerful tool to have That's for those that have it. Yeah. So too true. Would there be one story that you could share with us just from the tour that, you know, might be just a little bit funny that the podcast would appreciate and the listeners would, you know? Uh, just let me come back to that. I'll, <laughs> I'll give it some thought as we're yeah. chatting away here. We don't want so, to un- no, no. uncover anyone, <laughs> but, yeah. So, so was it, um, you know, senior players at the back of the bus type yep. thing? absolutely. Yep, seniority. Yep, yep. totally seniority. Yeah. And you step out of line there, you stepped out of line you, big time. You'd be you yep. put back in your place. Very quickly. Yes. Yeah. 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 So... Um, you had to win respect and those, through your playing. Yeah, those disciplines were all part of the package of forming a team. Yeah. And I sense that uh, there are some changes taking place in the professional code that everybody is expected to be or feel as though they ought to be expected to be treated similarly. Yeah. And that's, that's what I say. It's a changing world. It's not necessarily better or it is just different. And you can't help but look on. I was speaking with manager recently of a group or a group of professional rugby players and he I, I was playing golf with him and I asked and he's got a, a number of current all blacks and a lot of the super rugby players in his portfolio and I asked what are what are the three big challenges facing the players at the present time and he said oh without a doubt drugs depression and alcohol wow and I'm saying what here are these elite, elite athletes yeah. who are at the prime of their lives doing the thing that they're passionately focused on and those are the three single biggest challenges and he, he just took no moment to answer that. Wow. So it's... Did he give you a reason? Is it because of the pressure with the external pressure, pressure on them? Yeah. Pressure. Pressure yeah. to perform, All expectations to perform, expectations, and, yeah. that media... Um, and in many cases possibly haven't been exposed to a lot of disappointments along the way and feeling hurt and bruised, whether it's somebody's given them a rev up or yeah. um, or, or whatever. But I guess yeah. you're a young rugby player playing for school, everyone tells you how good you are and the school really holds you on a pedestal because you've, you plus, know, plus, and plus. You're, the, you know you're, you're either the captain of the rugby team or you're the head boy, everyone mm. says what a good thing is. And then you get into social media and things like that nowadays and people will just rip you down because you play for Canterbury instead of Otago or any little thing, can't they? So mm. there is that side of it. Oh. Life's yeah. full of bumps and bruises, yeah. you know, and, you and I think you need to, to know how to patch up the bruises as yeah. well as all the elevations yeah. we get. Yeah. yeah, I think there's that. There's that two elements, isn't it? One, one is the 
a bit less resilience than perhaps in the past. And the, and the other is the being constantly under the spotlight. You know, when they go on tour and, you know, if they go out to the nightclub or something like that, if something goes wrong, someone's going to capture that. And it's it's on their record forever. Yeah, you did right. There has to be a second chance for those young guys, though, because they're given a million-dollar contract and, you know, and they're 21 and they just haven't developed yet. So mm. I know, are you involved with anything? Like the All Blacks do put people around. They have um, the right people for them to talk to. You Do you still touch base with that kind of thing? Or, and obviously you're talking to this manager. Do you have anything else to do with I'm not directly involved with anything other than we have a a New Zealand Rugby Union put together a reunion each year and we get an opportunity to rub shoulders with all fellow All Blacks of various eras and a number of those, of course, are sitting in official capacities. And we do get to chat about the various stages of the game and uh, I think, as I mentioned earlier on, I think we, we lived in a very... All those that are even involved in the game now at a coaching level or the like say that... We lived in a very, we played in a very fortuitous time to yeah. be a player. Yeah. Uh, I think that the, the demands and the requirements now are at an entirely different level. It put a whole lot of different pressures on there. I yeah. think a lot of elite sport in New Zealand are going through reviews. I know cycling and um, all of that, they're just reviewing the management of players yeah. and, and everything else because it is tough. It is really tough. Yeah, well, yeah. the Blackferns have just gone through one and, yeah. you know, our own Glenn Moore, if I can claim Glenn, who's did a wonderful job in North Dakota yeah. for a period of time, uh, you know, has had to uh, be put under the spotlight. Yeah. And it's a pretty hot spotlight too, that yeah. it's really the torch. Yeah. And um, there's been some issues highlighted that none of us here can have any right to have any opinion on, but um, it is it, it indicates that, change that we're talking about of the expectations of players and the pressures that are placed on those that are involved in officialdom. So you spoke about mentors before. So who were the the main characters in your life, you know, through that period of time? Who were the people you looked up to? Um, My guy, Prof Jim Stewart, who was a professor of uh, and the chancellor at Lincoln University was a wonderful introduction to the game for me and he, he was the one that probably got me from being a regional player into into the All Blacks. And then fellow players, a, a good mate of mine, Grant Batty, who was and continues to be a close mate, uh, has always been an encouragement and actually a challenge to try and keep up with because his skill sets were such that quite remarkable for a little man that possibly wouldn't have survived in today's game. Um, and fellows like Ian Kirkpatrick, who were extraordinary individuals, still uh, quite an extraordinary person in, in his community for a whole range of reasons. So there's been a long list of mm. folks that have played a role in supporting us along the way. And So you've been able to look up to them and... Take, take the bits of help, advice that have helped you get to where you want to be. I, th- I think, Gary, it actually just rubs off onto you. I think yeah. that part of being involved in those frameworks leaves you with little bits tucked on the edge that you 
capture the, the people management side of things, I think has been enormously important for uh, going on into the business sector and understanding what it is, how people need to be treated, just a little like what we're talking about players you know, yeah. in this day and age. And, and then again, that, that employment market that we're in at the moment is reflecting very similar traits to that that we've seen in the sporting, that we're seeing in the professional sporting field, the expectations yeah. of um, people wishing to enter a workforce are very different to what the expectations were in the generation that we grew up. Yeah, that's just, that, that could be a whole other podcast, but I agree with what you're saying. And then do you have, how do you, what's the answer to that? You know, because people are different. Um, there's, it used to be you went in and worked hard for your boss and you were there 10 minutes early and you worked 10 minutes late and you thank your boss. Nowadays, you want your boss to thank you for the job, you know what I mean? And it's just the way cultures change or do we need to get back to older school values or what do you think? Well, like, I think as employers or people in, in any leadership role, the first thing is we've got to understand that change. Yeah. And because if we're trying to live in with the expectation that, listen, I'm doing the paying, I do the saying, yeah. uh, I'm afraid I think you're, you're up against a fairly yeah. challenging future. Mm. I think one needs to understand the mindset of the generation that's coming through now. Why is that mindset there? I don't know. The, the, the products of our generation, yeah. uh, I, don't, I don't altogether know why that is the case, but it is the case, and unless they are managed and approached and um, supported yeah. accordingly, yeah. I, I think there is a problem running a business that requires a lot of people involved. I just can tell there's something you've this is something you've processed and looked into and obviously had to deal with yourself in business over the years. I just really enjoy the way you are thinking about that. You're not just one answer fixes everything. You're willing to stop and think, and that's probably held you good stead in all your business life. So if we just quickly move on from the All Blacks, just you've been successful in business, but it was never handed to you. You've worked hard. Would that be fair to say? Oh, look, the road the road to success has been, Gary would know, like an old gravel gravel roadway in the county. Uh, there's been a lot of potholes along the way and it's been a tough journey and there's been a lot of forks that one could take off that went nowhere and we did. Yeah. Uh, and some did go somewhere and sometimes it wasn't right. It was the bumps and bruises we were talking about earlier on. It's, it's a, not a path for the faint-hearted going the way that we've done it. Yeah. And I talk about we because Doug and I, my brother, have been in partnership for now 50-odd years. Yeah. And um, it's all pretty much been done in partnership and with another couple of partners as well. And that journey has been a pretty torturous trip path, but we've uh, it's been enormously enjoyable. And we were hardwired, all of us were hardwired to want to achieve. It was a bit like... In the sporting field, I, I think to be in business, if you want to achieve, it has to be there has to be a driver there, whatever it might be. Yeah. So, and, you, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, go, go. yeah, but just just harking back to you know the days of Collie and, and Sid out on the plains, and um, you know the the advent of irrigation and so forth. I mean, there's there's been a lot happened over the years. The Hursts have been quite involved with quite a, a bit of the things that have been going on in that area. Um, you know, at what point did you 
step in and you know start taking over you, you, between you and Doug uh, the family business. Well, I first came back from Lincoln University and the then Waitaki Farmers Freezing Company, which is Alliance now, uh, employed, and some listeners will remember Farquhar McKenzie, a community member here, and John Nelson, who was the chief exec of Waitaki Farmers Freezing Company, enjoyed uh, Malcolm Francis, Barry Johnson, an Exxon guy, and Malcolm was an Exxon guy, and myself at the at all at around the same time, three young graduates. And Waitaki in those days, John Nelson had a desire because Freezing Works was a very seasonal undertaking and there was a big patch during those winter months when it it physically closed down and many of the workers ended up with no work and would have to look at doing something different during the off season. And John Nelson made quite an effort to Look at buying into a range of companies that gave employment during that off-season. And when I arrived there, they had 32 different subsidiary companies. And Farquhar McKenzie was the, the uh, business manager at the works. And he got me to sit alongside him as his uh, alternate on all the boards. And it was a, just an extraordinary learning curve. So... The late Farquhar was my mentor, my business mentor, mentor, and just a remarkable individual. Went on and spent some time as marketing manager for the tannery and did, again, quite an amount of additional overseas travel. At this stage, Gloria and I were married, and here was I still playing rugby and still travelling with rugby and now travelling with business a lot. So it just wasn't going to be sustainable into the future. So... Uh, I decided then to, we looked at, had an opportunity of buying another piece of land at Papakaya, and Doug and I went into partnership, farming partnership at that point, which would have been about 1977. So that was the start of ourselves, and we enjoyed the the benefits of the new irrigation scheme that came through, the Lower Waitaki Irrigation Scheme, arguably one of the best, if not the best in the world, quality, quantity, and That's price good. of water. It's a wonderful asset that the community has. And we pursued a pretty aggressive agricultural uh, program to uh, advance our well-being, which included taking on a lot of debt at the time. And then along came a crash at the tail end of the 80s and our backsides were hard up against the hot water pipe without uh, underscoring it too greatly at all that put us under an enormous amount of financial pressure. The banks were telling us what to do and not us sort of having an opportunity to chat to the banks. So we had to say, well, we did say that this isn't where we want to be. And an opportunity presented itself for Gloria and I to, and the three, three children at that stage, to go to um, a little island off Hawaii, the island of Molokai, and work on a project with Briley's that was paying me quite a lot of US dollars converted back to New Zealand dollars was very favourable to tidy up some debt. Doug and another partner of ours, Jeff McPhail, stayed at home and they um, moved down an avenue that uh, was also just slightly to the side of farming, direct farming, and we cleared debt. And it was during that period of time we were introduced to the aged care sector and we came home in 1993 and went to pursue 
somebody who knew something about the retirement village sector or the aged care sector. Met a gentleman who was instrumental in guiding us to the growth of our interests in, in that industry. Uh, and then we had a, a very pleasant, joyous ride from that point on. Yeah, it's um, you, know, you, you, you built up a quite significant business over the years and um, various investors coming into that and, and um, you know, you helped set up quite a number of people, I'm sure, for retirement, <laughs> not just in retirement in the villages. But, yeah, that, that must be a, a pretty good feeling that, you know, you've, you've managed to create that from through your hard work. Yeah, it... Uh we, we could see the opportunities that were in existence and this gentleman that I talk about that introduced us to the sector of film who subsequently died at a very young age, Grant Adamson, who was essentially a private banker, and we could see a lot of people around us in the agricultural sector working extremely hard and not making a great way forward financially for to enhance their future and we could see if they could get some off-farm investment or out of their normal industry investment and get it into another sector that was a, a, a better returning industry, uh, then they were going to embetter themselves. And a number of people chose to do that, and it's been a, a real delight to see them enjoy the joys of did, that outcome. Did they trust you? Was that the key? Uh, I think they there was a, a high level of trust yeah. in the fact that we had introduced them to essentially Grant, yeah. who was putting deals together, and it starts to multiply. It's like snow a yeah. snowball. Once they get a little bit going well, they put yeah. a little bit more and a little bit more. And then they're and, approaching and, and, you and then, knocking on your door for yeah, can they have it? Yeah. yeah. So, no, it's been a lovely journey to be able yeah. to share where possible that that opportunity that we've enjoyed. I just like the idea that you've blessed others in the community. You didn't just keep it all for yourself. You looked at others in the farming community. You wanted to pass on, yeah, what you were onto. And I think those are the kind of things you were, you were, you just come across. You're just that um, hardworking, honest North Otago man, but also if you could help other people up, you were, you would just do it. So, yeah. Yeah, one, one, good. one of the things I've really appreciated and getting to know Ian better over the last eight years or so is um, his work with the retirement village uh, in Omaru here. And, you know, it was basically an initiative between the hospital and the the council. Um, But, you know, right at the centre of it, key to that that was the the trust and experience that Ian brought to that. He was a director on the hospital at the time. And... You know, he, he knew the industry, and if it wasn't for that, it wouldn't have. It, I'm, I'm positive it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And you know, we, we're on the trust now together, and um, for the retirement village, and that's uh, you know, it's a, just a real pleasure to be a part of something so positive. That's it's a forty million dollar business now, and um, you know, it continues to grow, and it's giving people a great lifestyle and um, looking after a lot of elderly folk. And, you know, ultimately those profits are going to come back into the health sector of the, the district. It's just a, a wonderful experience and, and I really and appreciate that. Probably quite interesting for listeners to understand the, the origins of that. And 
There was a time that uh, George Berry, who had done an enormous amount for our community here, um, and Ken Scott were on the board, and we were looking at a bit of future planning, and I think that's a very healthy thing for anybody and everybody to be doing in our lives, setting goals. And we could see that the aged care population, which was the over 65% population, the Waitaki District had the highest over 65% population in per capita in New Zealand. And we could see the need of the hospital was going to be, the demands were going to be quite high there, but there wasn't a great deal outside the existing providers who were doing a very good job in the rest homes and uh, aged care hospitals and the like, doing an extremely good job, but it didn't appear that there was any new investment being put in place for to, to future-proof and provide for that over-65 population. So that Grant Adamson that I was speaking about came down and talked to council and uh, could see that there was an opportunity here for new investment to occur and the the hospital board at the time and council showed the confidence to say, look, let's let's do something here. And we did out all the forecasts using a lot of uh, the knowledge that we'd had over the last 20 years of being in the sector. And clearly there was quite a bit of reputational risk for council, for the board and for a few of us personally. But our forecasts were so wrong on the conservative side, I cannot believe even to this day the power that's being required to keep in front of the demand to make the or to for the observatory to handle the the, the uh, requirements. Yeah. It's, it's extraordinary. Yeah. It's um yeah, and the in the council has you know, kept in that relationship and we've increased the relationship and that's um yeah, we want to make sure that the the, the the retirement village trust and its companies can keep the growth going and cash flow is king and um, it's about keeping that money churning over and actually growing the business as fast as it can. But, yeah, the waiting list for people getting into apartments or getting into villas is is appreciable and, um, you know, it just shows the quality of the of the job. But, uh, you know, ultimately this was a, a way to diversify the funding for our health system in the district and um, it's it's proven to be that but it's also just provided so much more by giving people the opportunity to stay in the district that who otherwise would have left yeah. and we're talking about people there's a big call out here to you know it's okay to build really good buildings and really suitable buildings and have the flashiest in town but somebody has to drive it yeah. and the 80-odd, 100 staff that we've got up at the observatory, it's been a big shout-out to each one and every one of those yeah, because it, it's a tough, challenging game yeah. uh, or industry and they are looking after our vulnerable elderly and doing an extraordinary job. Yeah. So. Um, for me, just so on the outside looking in, I just love that it was a community got together. We, we pulled people from everywhere with the council, with experience, with wisdom and We've created that. So, just a wee. What's your next project? What you 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 cross me as a man who's always dreaming, a visionary with just you know you just have an idea or thought. Is there anything else exciting that you're taking over, or you just want to keep that under your hat for now? Look, there's there's always things ticking over. We're watching with a great deal of interest and support yeah. to the um, network Waitaki Stadium. 
think that's for, for our, and again, if we talk about health and well-being for across the wider range of the community, our youths and grandparents, we're just, as grandparents, we're down at the swimming pool this last couple of days over Easter, and you just look at the the health and well-being associated with all those wee kids in there, but the grandparents are all sitting on the sideline getting a bit of a hoist out of being involved and associated with it. You did right. I think the new stadium will... It covers all aspects across, and I'm not here to market the stadium, no. but all you'll gauge it. I'm a but supporter. But you're, you're allowed an opinion, though, so yeah. that's, yeah. <laughs> and then at some stage, I would love to see this community have its own community trust. Yeah. Um, something that anybody with benevolence and a desire to feedback specific. I know we're, we're enormously fortunate with the Otago Community Trust that's yeah. done Wonderful, the Omru Licensing Trust. There's lots of yeah. lots of bodies that have helped many of us in the small communities get projects, swimming pools, tennis courts, yeah. all sorts of things off the ground. But I'd l- l- love to see us have a regional, a Waitaki regional community trust, and that's something that I think I'd love to see some discussion take place over the not too foreseeable future to provide an opportunity for people to give back to the district that's given a lot to them. I, I agree. I love it. And, yeah, we put it out there now. Anyone listen to the podcast? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to take someone to drive it. But, um, you know, we've got a lot of um, a lot of people, you know, who have done well in the community who yeah. have the wherewithal to, to contribute and, and would like to. Mm-hmm. It's just giving them the right vehicle to be able to do that with. Oh, we have, Northside, we, we have so many generous and clever people in here. And so you're right, if you have the right vehicle for people to go, right, that's going to make a difference, they would support it. Um, so that's a good thing to have. Um, I just want to change tack a wee bit. Now, I have heard a rumour about you, and I just want to ask you on here. So uh, it's just a story doing the rounds. Where are we going with this? Yeah, yeah, I thought you might wonder where I was going with this. And I just, I've heard a rumour that you got a hole-in-one at the Augusta Nationals golf course, but someone was too embarrassed to come and ask you themselves, but the rumour going around the golf course is that you hold in one on the Augusta National Golf Course. Can you confirm or deny that rumour? Well, I'd have to deny it, unfortunately, oh. but I, I have been to Augusta on a couple of occasions to watch the Masters, and it's an absolutely extraordinary spectator sport to yeah. be able to do so. But I did get a hole in one at Pebble Beach, on the number seven hole, the par three, and uh, it, it, so that's it's, good. So it was very good. It was also very expensive because yeah. we were with a group of Aussies at the time. Yeah, and in a tournament, and it was. Did you have to shout? Yes, okay. you, that yeah. that is the normal behaviour for, oh, for a golfer. It's I'm culturally, and there'll be a few golfers that are listening in that will know exactly what I'm <laughs> referring to. Okay, there. so no more. Yeah, um, and and you had to shout Australians, which was probably it, yeah. the, the downside. But, yeah. but I'm sure but you enjoyed it. It's the only one I've had, and I've played for a long time. My father played golf on a single-figure handicap for something in the order of sixty odd years of his life. And he never had a hole in one. He wasn't ever on the golf course when he had a hole in one, and he'd never, well, he'd never been in a four when a hole in one had been scored. So wow. they, they are quite rare. Yeah. My mother, who took on golf at a much later stage in life, got two of them. Yes. Uh, so they can be uh, a bit fortuitous as well. And I was pretty honoured to nail it on so Pebble Beach. Once you nailed that, what happened? 
Well, they bring out an official to make sure that you're not in a four that's uh, just making a story up for story's sake. Yeah. And then we finished out playing the 18 holes. By the time we got back in, there was um, a the flag. They take the flag off the stick yeah. and have that back and put it into a glass um, frame. Yeah. And so we've got a flag and then the card is kept and put in that frame as well. And that was all presented to us by one of the officials of Pebble Beach. Marvellous. And then it was through to the bar. And you, <laughs> you still have that somewhere? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's in my games room. So, so yeah, excellent. Um, what, what was the score overall? Did you do well? It didn't... Um, it didn't follow that right through <laughs> the rest of the series. You probably got distracted afterwards. Yeah, a bit distracted. On that note, Gary, we probably need a North Otago Sports Museum and we can put, you know. Oh, we've got the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Which um, currently is at the Wataki Rec Centre, but it's um, being proposed to move to the new event centre. Because I just know at the Rowan Club, we've got um, a couple of the red jackets from, you know, Rusty. Mm. And, you know, some of that stuff is really important to keep, you know, out there for the young people to see and, yeah. Yeah, well, it would be the opportunity to put some memorabilia there as well because at the moment it's it's recognising the people and their achievements and so on. But, yeah, there's there's some of that memorabilia that will be around. So but you do, you walk past the Rex and you do look at those photos. We mm. probably need to update them a bit more, do we? Is there some um, more that need to be added in? Uh, there was... It had had been had lapsed for a wee while, but I think um, was it last year or the year before there was about seven new ones yeah. added in there. Yeah, so I brought, brought it up to date. Yep. Yeah, yes, I've, I've been associated with the selection of the, yeah. Yes, you get the power and, and as a COVID has caused yeah. a little bit of havoc in that regard, but yeah. that's all being addressed at the yeah. moment. And there's a there's a motivated group of people who are updating the uh, I think the Hall of Fame. But it's just celebrating excellence in our community. Like, you know, someone's done well, it's good to mm. acknowledge that. And it's not just sport. It's in, in all areas where it's a big business or setting up retirement homes. It's good to acknowledge when we've done something well and, and celebrate the successes. And in North Otago, we've had quite a few, Gary, haven't we? We have indeed. And yeah. and it's, you know, it's not it's not about putting people on pedestals. No. It's recognising their achievements. And yeah. most importantly, it's that message to young people that, hey, you know, you can be here and you can be a world leader. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the more we can have that message out there, you know, you, you get in there, you work hard and you can achieve. Mm. And, I look, I think sport often gets uh, over-recognised. I look at the the artisans and around our community yeah. uh, who contribute. I look at um, so many of the voluntary componentry within this district that would come to a standstill if it wasn't for... Our community volunteers and support workers and the like, we're, we're just absolutely blessed. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think we're seeing a time where at the tail end of those 80s, we lost a lot of young business people, young folks moved out of town because they needed to in order to yeah. provide for their families. Whereas I think we've seen over the last eight, ten years a, a resurgence of young people enterprising, capable, skilled yeah. people coming back into our community in all different phases. And it's it's a very, very healthy state. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say it. When I left school, I was one of those ones, oh, I want to leave Omro, there's nothing good here. And honestly, I, I did my apprenticeship at De Geese and I travelled for five years and I come back to Omro and you realise how good Omro is. 
And sometimes when you're in here or, you know, North Otago, they have access to everything. And now having a family in North Otago, mm. I think it's probably the best place in New Zealand. So if anyone from the rest of New Zealand is listening to this podcast, come one, come all, come to North Otago. The schools are great. Our level education. My kids can play sport, any sport from athletics to rugby to rowing at a high level and make high honours. So we don't miss out on too much here in North Otago and we have a really good infrastructure and, and it's going ahead. So I agree with what you're saying. It's, it has turned a corner in the last 10 years and, it, and yeah, we're, we're taking off again. Irrigation, education and health. Yeah, those those three cornerstones are very of, of important cornerstones of this yeah. community, yeah. and I think we're doing them all very well. Yeah, I think we're fortunate. Yeah, no, totally agree. Totally agree. <laughs> so one thing I want to get back to, we need that funny story from your time in the All Blacks. Just that one you can share. I will. I'll hold that off and come back at another time to you. You'll come back <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. No, that's good as gold. And, um, you know, you, you probably never quite made the, the back seat of the bus, but, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, in the same way that we've, you know, respected so much of what you've achieved over the, your time in North Otago, I'm pretty sure your fellow players would have recognised that you were a player that, that got stuck in and, had their back out on the field, which was an important part of the game, wasn't it? Well, I had the joy of coming back from Canterbury and playing for North Otago for a good number of years and uh, was surrounded with a lot of local mates that are still living within the region that I've played a lot of rugby with. And that's, that's they're empowering friendships that, you know, you've been to battle together and uh, it's a relationship that's, that doesn't, doesn't wane over over the years. Yeah. So you run the, won the Ramrith Rally Shield with Canterbury, is that right? A couple of times, yeah. Yep. Did you ever challenge for North Otago for a Ramrith Rally Shield? No, my no. brother Doug did. Did he? Yeah. they go? They got beaten. Yeah. <laughs> they always have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they've won it yet. No. no. Next year's our one <laughs> year. Um, did you, yeah, you just have a lot of lasting memories from the rugby, but playing England... You know, or playing, who was your, or was it playing for Canterbury? What was your toughest game? What was your lasting memory? What can you remember? I know you scored a couple of sharp tries. You were known for, you had a nose for the try line. You knew how to get there uh, under pressure. Um, so you had a turn of speed. And you had good defence. But what was a wee memory? What was a team or something you did that you were most proud of on the sporting field? Well, we played in Ireland in 1973, which was at the peak of the Irish um, battles that were going on between Northern and oh, South Northern, Island. Yeah. And that in its own light was something that was quite remarkable. He's surrounded by military, military on board the bus, fully armed, uh, in a protection of the players' mode. We were the first team to play, an international team to play sport in Northern Ireland Wow. Uh, for five years and I had the good fortune to be selected for that test match and I played probably one of the world's best or highest recognised midfielders, Mike Gibson and that was a very memorable job yeah. undertaking, responsibility And uh, just refresh my memory, did we win that game? We drew We drew that mm. game Did you score a try in that no, game? No, I didn't no. but uh, Nine all draw and yeah. a remarkable game and a remarkable yeah. experience too. 
to have They're to handle amazing. somebody that was so well recognised and so experienced. But the crowds over there, they're a wee bit different. I've had been to a couple of games in Scotland and Wales and they sing and cheer and they're just a bit different from here in New Zealand, aren't but they? Car so bombs, Mark. You, you yeah. cannot communicate to one another on the field. The noise is, that, is, is that what you such found? an elevation. Yeah. 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 Atmosphere. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're a bit quiet over we're here, a bit reserved aren't we? here, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. A, a few quick, quick questions. Um, your best coach? Prof. Jim Stewart. Yep. Hardest training? Uh, Bob Duff. And the best player you've played with? Bracket it with Ian Kirkpatrick and Grant Batty. And the player, best player that you played against? Mike Gibson. Right. You've answered those questions. I have a question I'd like you to answer. Who'll win the blood match this year? If you're going to take money, I'll put it on Waitaki. <laughs> you're a Waitaki and, yeah. No, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's, uh, I coached the first 15 for a few years and that into school, I remember that there was a period of time that there was no greater than three points yeah. in that contest for the four preceding years that the game was played. There was... 11, 12, two 11, 12s and a 7, 8 in those days. Yeah. And, uh, and that's indicative of the intensity of that match. It is something very special in the minds of all those young players. Yeah. It was and still is. That, yeah. That's never changed. It's a great battle. Well, some of those young guys, that might be their pinnacle, you know. Yep. That might be, and it's good to see they get to experience that. And, you know, a few thousand people cheering them on. And it's great for a young lad to handle that pressure and, you know, go out there and, you know, battle against the other school and then shake hands and be friends off the field. It's, it's yeah. fantastic, yeah. It is quite remarkable. We've got an old boys reunion that weekend yeah. coming up this year. I have, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you'll be there with your caps on we're, and, yeah. You've got to be there. Yeah. Now, this this is an old boys, right. the Omaru Old Boys Rugby right. Club reunion yeah. uh, that's going to coincide and be there to watch that yeah. St Kevin's Waitaki match this year. Oh, very good. Yeah. So no, we look forward to that, and and you know, I think you know one of the disappointing things around that particular game is just some of the stuff that happens off the field. But hopefully, we're moving past that, and, and yeah, you know, keep keep, keep the the rivalry for on the field, and uh, you know, be friends off it. You hit it here first, Gary Kirchis hit the rivalry <laughs> yeah. on the field. Don't be numpties. Yeah, don't be numpties. Yeah, Leave uh, each other's schools alone. But no, yeah. it's um, it's it's great. You know, hearing some of your tales, Ian, really appreciated it. Um, you know, we're looking forward to part two with the uh, some of these anecdotes that you might be able to bring forward. But, um, you know, just, it, you know, it, it, it was a different time. It's, um, you know, as far as it was in the amateur era and things were done differently and, um, you know, this, like I say, it was, it was just different. But uh, you know you've you've had so much to do with North Otago, and it's just been a pleasure having you here today. Well, thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, and I just like to add to that. I just want to, um, yeah, thank you very much. Just your integrity, the way you do business, the way you do life, um, the way you just come in and have a chat with us today, uh, the way you support North Otago, 
Um, I just really appreciate that. And that's what makes our community, people like yourself, your brother, your wife, your family, just good North Otago people. So we appreciate that. We thank you very much for coming on. I've enjoyed it today. And yeah, we'll have to get, have you back, but you will owe us one Really good all black story. I'll have a good one. That might uncover someone, but (laughs) hey, we're willing to take that risk. So thanks very much for coming on and we look forward to you next time. Thanks, Ian. Cheers. Thanks, Ian.